This is from the Hekigang Roku, case 61. Feng Shui is one atom of dust. The introduction. To set up the banner of the teaching and establish its fundamental message is a matter for a genuine master of the school. To judge dragons and snakes, distinguish the initiate from the naive, one must be an accomplished teacher. As for discussing killing and giving life on the edge of the sword, discerning what is appropriate for the moment with a staff, this I leave aside for now. Just tell me, in one phrase, how will you assess the matter of occupying the heartland single-heartedly? To test, I cite this case, the main case. Feng Zhui, while giving a talk, said, If you set up a single atom of dust, the nation flourishes and the peasants frown. If you do not set up a single atom of dust, the nation perishes and the peasants are at ease. Zretu raised his staff and said, Are there any patriot monks who will live together and die together? The verse. The old peasants may not unfurl their brows, but for now, I hope that the nation establishes a sturdy foundation. Crafty ministers, valiant generals, where are they now? 10,000 miles, pure wind, only I know. So last Sunday, I spoke a little bit about the spiritual journey we all have to go through, all going through, from contraction to expansion, and how significant it is for us to understand that we each have to give rise to the Buddha within rather than emulate anyone or follow a dogmatic path with our closed eyes. In terms of Buddhism, and specifically the Zen tradition, this means to close the gap between what we consider everyday life and what we consider the Dharma. In other words, to recognize that your life is your practice. But how do we understand this? The Zen tradition is, is quite simple, not so layered. Yet the different aspects of our practice are maintained in a specific and meticulous way. Essentially, Zen is a quiet tradition that does not rely much on verbal communication. So we have signals and gestures to minimize the need to talk. And there are established rules that make it easy to follow along without explanations. For example, jihatsu meals, morning service, prostrations, the structure of Zazen period, and so on. And all of it is set up and maintained for the purpose of establishing the fundamental teaching of our tradition. But what is that? What is the real point of doing this? <clears throat> the introduction to this koan says, to set up the banner of the teaching and establish its fundamental message is a matter for a genuine master of the school. Yes, there is a vital importance in setting up specific structure for the practice. 
But the genuine master will not fool you to think that you will be supported by the established structure or that the structure of our practice acts as means to an end. It is nothing in the beginning, it is nothing in the middle, and it is nothing in the end. And the genuine master in this case is Feng Shui, in the masterful way he's expressing the fundamental message of the Zen tradition in this case. And to set up the banner of the teaching is referring to ancient times when it was customary to put up a banner or flag before a teacher would be giving a talk. So people would know in advance that the teaching is about to be offered at that place shortly. In our case, there are also specific preparations before a teacher is given at the Zendo. The lectern and cushions are arranged. A cup of tea is prepared. The Jikido hits the inking bell to signal the, everyone to be seated. The chants are recited and the teacher offers incense and prostrations. And then comes the Teisho. And it seems as if all the activities before the Teisho are secondary to the main course or are leading to some crescendo. But in terms of Dharma teachings, each of the preceding activities are nothing but the main course. If we fail to see, to see this point, we are bound to be disappointed, no matter how great the Teisho is. How can anything deliver that which does not come and go? The introduction then says, as for discussing killing and giving life on the edge of a sword, discerning what is appropriate for the moment with the staff, this I leave aside for now. Just tell me, in one phrase, how will you assess the matter of occupying the heartland single-heartedly? The single-heartedness of Zazen Samadhi is the soul that cuts through delusion. Yamada-kun commented on this saying, If you are truly concentrated or concentrating on Mu, there would be no room for cursory thoughts to make their entrance. They can only make their way into your mind when Mu has stepped outside for a moment. It is like a house. If the inhabitants are there, no robbers will come in. But if the owner of the house, in this case Mu, should live for a few minutes, the robbers, random, random thoughts, will immediately make their way into the house. As in intimate communion with the source or silent illumination, that's concentration on Mu. And this is a good description of how we encounter the point of this koan in our Zazen. Feng Shui said, if you set up a single atom of dust, the nation flourishes and the peasant frown. If you do not set up a single atom of dust, the nation perishes and the peasants are at ease. Now think about it in Zazen. While practicing Zazen, we naturally encounter an endless, endless chain of thoughts and emotions and a mind that differentiates and is busy formulating judgments and opinions. This is the dust of our mind. If we raise a single particle of this dust, 
and become engaged. It grows exponentially within seconds, and we find ourselves lost in the imaginary world of our own creation. The groove between the eyes grows deeper, and we all know how heavy and muddied that feels like. On the other hand, if we do not raise a single particle of that dust and let the mind run wild, no structure is formulated in our imaginary world, and that world perishes. How does that feel like? The peasants are at ease. That's what it feels like. The nation flourishes and the nation perishes. Is there anyone that experiences life in any other way? One of the most significant recognitions we encounter as human beings is the simple and undisputed fact of constant change. Everything that can materialize is subjected to a process of decay and will decompose over a period of time. Every thought, every emotion, memory, sensation, this physical body, our solid homes, and everything we are surrounded by. All of it is united by the same universal and unbreakable law of change. Everyone is experiencing life as arising, subsisting, and vanishing. But what does that mean in terms of living and functioning as human beings? How do we harness this simple truth and embrace it in our daily life rather than live in denial of it? Benjamin says, if you set up a single atom of dust, the nation flourishes and the peasants frown. This is also known as the gate of setting up differences. When all things are seen as different, there is you and I. There is north and south, before and after, gain and loss, opinions to agree or disagree with. There are countries, borders, different positions and ranks, and so on. A world of relativity in which the nation flourishes. In the Genjokoan, Dogen describes this stage as when all dharmas are the Buddha Dharma, there is delusion and realization, practice, life and death, Buddhas and living beings. Then Feng Shui says, if you do not set up a single atom of dust, the nation perishes and the peasants are at ease. And this is also known as the gate of sweeping away differences. This is diving deeply into the world of Mu, realizing the ground level, opening the eye on the forehead, seeing equality and being blind to differentiation. No you and I, no north and south, no before and after, no gain and loss, no opinions to agree or disagree with, no countries, borders, different positions, or ranks. When all things are recognized as one and the same, the nation perishes. Dogen describes this stage as when the 10,000 dharmas are without a fixed self, there is no delusion and realization, no Buddhas and no living beings, no birth, no death. Body and mind drop away a state of absolute samadhi, 
being immersed in an experience of totality. This koan also appears in the Shoyoroku collection. And there, there are some notes, footnotes that can help shed light on each of Feng Shui's statement. Under the line, if you set up a single atom of dust, the nation perishes, it says, when you find this, it's originally there. And then under the line, if you do not set up a single atom of dust, the nation perishes, it says, when you lose this, it's originally non-existent. When you find it, it's originally there. When you lose it, it's originally non-existent. We encounter formation as it is originally there. And then we encounter disintegration as originally non-existent. So what are we left with? And here is how Dogen describes the next stage. Since the Buddha way by nature goes beyond the dichotomy of abundance and deficiency, there is a rising and perishing delusion and realization, living beings and Buddhas. That's coming right back to where we started, from a completely different point. Setting up differences is right, and clearing away differences is right. But both need to be transcended before we can function freely in the mud. As in the words of Shishuang, we just impartially sit in the mud. Impartially sit in the mud. And this is the way to embody form is no other than emptiness. Since all things are by nature impermanent and not fixed, there's no need to reject or renounce anything. And this is the basis of the basis for radical and total acceptance. Otherwise, it's not total acceptance. There are two short verses that express this in a simple way. The first one represents a limited view of having to reject form to arrive at emptiness. And the second verse represents an expansive view of integration and totality. And this is using an image of a cottage built from brushwood. <clears throat> the first one says, Since the whole cottage has been built by assembling brushwood, if we took it to pieces, nothing would remain but the field as before. The second one says, Since the cottage has been built by assembling brushwood, there is nothing but the field even without taking it to pieces. It's always been this way, whether it's being assembled or put together or set up or not. And the setting up does not hide the ground in the same way that the ground easily gives rise to whatever we put on it. The question is not so much what we put on it. The question is what is our relationship with what arises? And how do we feel about it when it vanishes? <clears throat> Zretu, who was the compiler of this Quran collection, added the last line to the Quran later on. And he said, he raised his staff and said, Are there any patriarch monks who will live together and die together? 
And the footnote says, Return the words to me. Although they are right, he wants to even out what is not even. It is necessary to deal with Retu to accomplish this. But do you know? If you know, I admit that you are autonomous and free. If you do not know, you get hit 3,000 times in the morning, 8,000 times in the evening. That's how many experience life. <clears throat> Zreto raises his staff to show that we're all in this together. And we're all this way. But if we do not realize it, or do all live and die with a constant, we do end up living and dying with a constant frown, like the old peasants. In a different translation, it says that when a single grain of dust is not raised, the old peasants sing. Can you hear this song? Or better yet, can you sing it? This koan brings up only a part of what Feng Shui expressed. In the full version of it, he said, If you set up a single atom of dust, the nation flourishes and the peasants frown. If you do not set up a single atom of dust, the nation perishes and the peasants are at ease. If you can clearly understand here, you have no separate part. It's all this old monk, me, him referring to himself. I am just you. You and I can enlighten everyone in the world and can also delude everyone in the world. Do you want to see, do you know, do you want to see you? Then he slapped his left hand on one side. Here it is. Do you want to know me? He slaps the other side. Here it is. Here is you. Here is me. What's missing? Or what's in between? The verse says, The old peasants may not unfurl their brows, but for now, I hope that the nation establishes a sturdy foundation. And the footnote says, Delicious food does not appeal to those who are full. The one song of great peace everyone knows when you want to go, go. When you want to stay, stay. Heaven, earth, the whole world is the one gate of liberation. How will you establish it? If you are satisfied, you are free to go and do whatever you want. You are free to create anything you want. If you are not satisfied, however, you are a prisoner of everything you create. We become prisoner of where we are, and we become prisoner of where we want to be. Crafty ministers, valiant generals, where are they now? 10,000 miles pure wind, only I know. And the footnote says, are there any? Are there? The land is broad, the people are few, and rarely is anyone met with. But do not point to yourself. And Hakuin commented on this saying, to know this, one must know cold and warmth for oneself. There is no choice but solo performance. 
for this point cannot be communicated even from father to son. And this is what it always comes down to, a solo performance. Only you can know it. Only you can know cold when it's cold and hot when it's hot. A Sangha is there to support and encourage each practitioner to muster up the courage to go directly into the dragon's cave, confront it squarely in the eyes, and become the master. And that means to turn towards our darkest fears and face what we may want to deny or escape from. And it is crucial for us to recognize that we have a strong habitual tendency to set up firm structures from the details of our lives and formulate stories from the passing thoughts. And it is equally crucial for us to, to realize that to overcome this habit, we need to develop a warrior spirit and fiercely, fiercely face the temptation to make something out of nothing. That we have mastered. We are amazingly well, or doing really well with making something out of nothing. That's the gateway. That's the entry point. And so in this context, if we, if we truly understand that our Zen practice is the practice of our life, we also understand that to practice well is to face every aspect of our daily life with a warrior spirit. What does that mean? How can we live moment by moment like a warrior? And that includes all aspects of our lives and it also includes all the emotions, all the memories, all the thoughts. There is nothing outside of that. What does it mean to live life like a warrior? Or what do you think it means? Are you doing it? Especially now that it, so much is up in the air. Are we doing it? As the introduction, it ends with this question. Just tell me in one phrase, how will you assess the matter of occupying the heartland single-heartedly? Single-heartedly, single-mindedly. How do you do that? How do we do that? How do you deal with what you hold on to? Whether it's regrets, whether it's aspirations, whether it's what you think you should be doing, where you, should, where you think you need to be, what you're missing, what you're not, what you are, anything, any particle of dust that you tend to hold on to. How do you shake it up? What does it mean to shake it up? Okay, this is the time that I'm going to be quiet and you will speak. Joan, did you bow? Just out of gratitude. Gratitude. Oh, you got to watch out. <laughs> That looked like a sing signal. I want to talk. That was bowing in gratitude. <laughs> okay, that well. Was a wonderful, rich talk. Do you want to say something? Do you want to share something? Yes, I'm in the middle of it. So I, it was a very complicated, rich talk. Thank you. Um, what 
struck me, there were many things that struck me, but what's arising right now is the idea of sitting impartially in the mud, which is what I feel like I'm doing and what I'm feeling, the collective grief of what we're all trying to do. And what you said earlier about um, the entry, the, the intrusive entry of random thoughts is what makes sitting impartially in the mud difficult. So um, I have to try to work at um, being with every nanosecond as it is and not entertaining and encouraging the random thoughts. And um, that's the best way that I know right now to relate to those random thoughts and sitting in the mud. And um, when the mind settles for me today, I am left sitting with not only a lot of personal grief, but a lot of the collective grief. And I would like to be able to just sit with it as it is and not add on more, more difficulty. And thank you so much. Thank you. So sitting in the mud, are we stuck in the mud? Well, that's the question. That is the question. That is the question. Are we yeah. stuck in the mud? Thank you. Thank you. Okay, who's next? Okay, Daibo, last time you couldn't figure out the audio. But now you're free to speak. Oh, we still can't hear you. No walking. Oh. You're stuck in the mud. Okay. I will let you get unstuck. Wait, does anybody know who Enzi is? Okay, anyone else? So maybe this is a good entry point for me to be stuck in the mud. Um, I was just thinking as Joan spoke that um, I usually get stuck in the mud if I make something of it, if I start liking or disliking it, then I can literally feel how it, um, how it hinders my moving out of it. So, yeah. I think that's how it is for me. So uh, I just want to introduce you to everybody because uh, most people don't know you. This is our dear uh, Dharma brother from Germany, Chodo. And uh, Hi, he's everyone. joining us today. Okay, so um, yeah, say, say more about it. So um, if I start um, judging things, what's going on in my life and what's happening and um, when I think that things shouldn't be the way they are and I mean I'm very good as everyone else I guess in making up stories as how this in momentary life how this could continue otherwise or how this should be otherwise how things should be happening in a different way as they are happening and um, I kind of create an alternative reality that I get immersed in and that I somehow start living, even though life that surrounds me continues the way it is. And um, 
at some point, especially in these days, being stuck in the apartment with my partner and my little child. Um, they, of course, they um, at some point, everything shatters because um, I live my different reality and it clashes with the other reality that those other people mm. um, never actually left. And um, then it causes lots of conflicts, for example. Yeah, that's uh, okay. So thank you for that. So so stuck. You said I'm stuck with my partner, right? And that's uh, that's how it can feel like we're stuck together. Um, and uh, it's interesting because these days I hear from uh, a bunch of people that live with a partner that uh, before something they, they see the option or they see the possibility to create an argument out of something. And then realizing it's kind of like being uh, on, a, on a deserted island with one person, you realize, people realize, I don't want to go there because that's going to really make things difficult. And then people say, I choose to not go there. And then many don't, which actually shows us that we can, which is interesting, right? We can, we have an option. I think we all know that. We have an option to not create complications whether it's with our own, with the dust within or the dust without, outside. Either way, we know we have the knowledge or the capacity to not create complications, to move on, to cut it single-heartedly with the sword of wisdom and say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. I see that thought. I see this emotion and I'm just going to watch it. And if I watch it, obviously it disintegrates. If I take it and chew on it, it becomes something and it nurtures something in me. And it nurtures what we don't want to nurture. Even when we want to nurture it, we don't want to nurture it. So we have to watch for that. And this is, to live like a warrior is exactly that. That point of seeing something arising and not creating some, anything off it, that's the, the warrior spirit. That's when it's needed most. Because one particle of dust, if it's not observed, becomes very quickly a huge issue. In fact, it starts wars, not just between two people, but nations. One single particle of dust. It doesn't mean we don't create. The question is, what is it that we create and how, how are we dealing with our creations? Thank you, Jodo. Thank you. Okay, who's next? Elle, are you... Uh, okay. Go ahead. Hi. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. We can hear you. Okay, thank you. Um, well, I was just thinking about differences between um, repressing an argument versus uh, or repressing a conflict versus being able to move beyond it. Um, and it's, it's, it's something I have to continue thinking about. I think I've had a lot of moments in my life where I've seen conflict and it feels 
too scary to address. So I just kind of let it, I run away from it and let it fester for a while. And I think I've reacted to that. I have a, because of that history, I have a reaction. When something comes up that's bothering me, I feel like it needs to be addressed. Um, If someone does something that is hurt, that I experience is hurtful or something like that, it needs to be addressed. Otherwise, it will become a whole karmic burden. Um, And so what the experiences that people are sharing are helpful in adding some flexibility to that perspective and having alternatives to addressing um, areas of discomfort or conflict with other people beyond you know, something along the lines of, we need to talk about this now. Mm -hmm. Um, But being able to sit in and respect my feelings about a situation without always making them the responsibility of another person. So thank you. Suppressing uh, is actually creating something as well. It's, It's creating me, right? And it's actually fortifying me as the one who is suppressing. So suppressing is not necessarily what we need or the way we look, we need to look at it the question is can we examine what's going on and then decide whether or not it's the right time to say can we say it can we find the right time to say can we examine what that means right without creating without uh, fortifying anything without feeling victimized by that to feel victimized by is also creating something, holding on to something, right? So what, the question, what is the open way to examine the situation versus uh, a static, closed, shut down way of examining a situation? What is the flowing way, dynamic? So that, you know, the practice is not saying, or Zen is not saying, or is not saying anything. But he's definitely not saying suppress anything, right? He's just saying, keep your eyes open and ask the right question about the situation. Ask yourself the right questions. Not so much what it means about me, more so what it means about the way I need to respond. Uh, so, hi, I'm Vince. By the way, um, so I think I definitely experienced that when I when I moved to college more than now than in quarantine with my family because I've lived with them for a while. With my roommates, especially one who was particularly loud and I felt um, didn't really understand boundaries with other people. And so I found myself trying to figure out it, like what to say or how to say it because I also didn't want to have a conflict since she's my roommate. I didn't want to have to say something and then, you know, like have this drama within the household or whatever. And I came to the realization that I really had to step back and kind of ask myself like where it's coming from, where I'm coming from, but also where she was coming from. And I realized like different ways to, address it without also pushing my anger into it so um i ended up having like a whole house discussion where i was like hey can we be more mindful of this and not necessarily calling her out but calling like a group meeting um and also pushing not pushing but like 
kind of letting my own anger subside. Um, so doing it in a moment where I wasn't angry about it or, or frustrated. And that really honestly changed the whole house uh, for me, that is. And so it's kind of like finding the right moment, but also looking into your own feeling and where that comes from, for me at least. Right, and so finding where it may be stagnant and then to, to, to find a way to open it up. And, and all this can happen when we maintain an open, open environment, so to speak, right? When things are open and, 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 and flowing, then yes, answers show up. They may not come at the time we want them to come, but they come when they need to come. Thank you. Ari, uh, where's Ari? Ari, you wanted to speak. Yeah, go ahead. Thank you. Thank great, you. great talk. Thank you, everybody. I, this is just so perfect. I've been uh, sick for, uh, you know, several weeks <laughs> with this virus, and, um, and I hit a wall, and I, you know, I got lost in, in a, a, a cloud of, of uh, dust motes uh, at some point, and I, I don't know when, and was stuck in the mud, and, um, and, and I, I really just surrendered to being in the mud, uh, so re, sort of remembering that the lotus um, blooms in the mud, and so, um, and that maybe there's some help that I can offer by just letting myself be stuck here in the mud of suffering. You know, I, I cried and I was very frustrated um, with not feeling better. And, um, but, uh, you know, as soon as I just surrendered to being in the mud, um, things shifted again. And, um, you know, I, I noticed my mind wants to uh, determine, uh, you know, go back and figure out where I lost, uh, where I got hooked to that, that first dust mote. But it, it doesn't really matter. Um, is, it, is, that, is that part of the, what, what you're... Yeah. It's good. Actually, the, the, thank you for that. The word surrender has uh, somehow became or has a, a negative connotation or we think it's giving up, but it's definitely not what we mean by you know, surrender in terms of practice, in terms of life. Uh, to, to surrender is to agree, to follow along, to not argue. It doesn't mean to not stand your ground when it's time to stand the ground. It doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean to allow the flow to, to take over and to ask the flow rather than ask ourselves what needs to be done and what needs to be said. So to surrender is more to allow, to yield, to blend, to harmonize, to unify. And that's what you mean by that, right, Ari? Yes, okay. yeah, that's absolutely... You know, I... And I, I like the, the, the piece about um, not making something out of nothing has been a really helpful practice with this. Um, and it's allowed me to traverse the various physiological um, experiences that I've been having 
um, and be awake to them. Um, But having said that, I also feel like there is a, a, there's a part in there um, where, you know, there's a fine line and there was a a point last weekend actually where, um, you know, I considered um, going to the hospital. Um, And so, you, you know, just having to, be humble about that and say, okay, well, maybe I'm, I'm losing grip of this. I'm not masterful with this. And um, I'm really having a hard time breathing. And that could be incredibly detrimental, you know, and not being um, so arrogant, um, maybe as I have, uh, I'm capable of um, in the past. Is that, is that part of what you just said? Well, it's part of what you said, which is better. <laughs> Forget what I said, but yes, uh, yeah, to recognize, to recognize how we get in our own way, right? How we get in the way, and we get in the way because there are fixed things there that that we may not see, we may be blind to, or we may not want to see or admit, right? So, I'm, for example, I'm being stubborn. It's not a bad thing, right? It's how we use it. It's a good trait. It could be a good trait. It could be a good, uh, good quality trait, right? If we use it well, if we use it to sustain efforts, but it could get in the way if we don't use it well. Yeah. Right. So to let go when it's time to let go. How are you feeling right now? I'm good. It, uh, I was laughing with the doctor. You know, he, at one point he said, it's a remember you're running a marathon. I said, no, I I think it's more like a decathlon with surprise events. And today's surprise event was a rash. (laughs) But um, I feel like it's, um, I feel so much better. So it's a beautiful sunny day. I'm going to go out and exercise my lungs and my body. Thank you for asking. And thank you for Daibo and everybody else that's been. Thank you. Thank you. Um, who's next? You can unmute and speak. Yeah, Gordon. Uh, well, I, I thought I would share a little bit, um, cause we had sort of a long conversation along uh, similar lines this past week to yeah. sort of share what we had talked about because yeah. being stuck in the mud is much like a barrier or a gate, you know, and, and in the Taisho, you know, they talk about the, you spoke about the gate of liberation or the gate that sweeps uh, differences away. And um, I brought up, it reminded me, I always love the, um, uh, I, I should have uh, looked this up beforehand, but I know in the Bible, there's the story about the camel that can't pass through the eye of the needle. And a lot of people assume that's just sort of a really, a colorful metaphor, but there actually was a gate, and I don't remember if it's Jerusalem or Damascus, but there was an actual gate called the Eye of the Needle, and it was because it was so small, they had to unpack all the camels and pass them through, and then, then of course, because they were merchants, usually they would bring everything through by hand. But the idea of sort of just losing, you know, how do you pass through these these gates or get out of this stuckness, and, and uh, you begin to realize you're carrying a lot of baggage, you know, not and not just physical, but also mental baggage, these ideas of like, well, I think people should behave like this, or I wouldn't say that in that situation. And, and uh, that's all sort of the baggage that you end up having to eliminate to, 
either, you know, gets stuck, you know, get unstuck or pass through the gate. And, um, but in some ways too, it's interesting because I was, I was just thinking like, you have to make your eye of yourself so small to, to move forward very often, you know, to, to pass through that eye of the needle, to pass through, to get unstuck from the mud. So if you make the eye really small, then you only have like stuck in the mud. And uh, then you begin to realize that stuck is, has a connotation or a flavor to it. So you just kind of go, well, okay, in mud. And that's it. And, and then it becomes like, I, I think kind of remarkably simple. So. It can, <laughs> yes. That's the, yeah, that's what we are working with, right? But, you know, and thank you, Gorm. To, to take down the backpack, we know we say it often, to take the, put down the backpack for a while, sit down, right? To um, also allow ourselves to, to shed the extras, to, to be okay with being naked. And uh, naked passes through, right? Because it doesn't have any extra, it's light. We can travel light, we can pass through a lot more. And uh, nothing grabs hold, nothing stuck on you, to you, as you. So, yeah, that uh, goes, goes back to what uh, Ari was saying about, you know, uh, nothing, right? So to, um, to, to actually appreciate nothing, right? We, it is so precious um, to, to really see how amazingly, how much of a gift it is to encounter nothing. Right, and we, we don't really value that, right? Uh, Yunman said a good thing is not as good as nothing, which is very simple but very true. It doesn't matter how good it is, it cannot be as good as nothing. So that's something to sit with, to actually appreciate, to savor that saying and sit with it, to bring it to your zazen and examine what does that mean as an experience, not as something I either understand or don't understand. But a good thing isn't as good as nothing. Thank you. Who's next? Major, are you trying to unmute? Yeah. Yes, I'm trying to unmute. Okay. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. So, um, yeah, when this whole pandemic started and we had to uh, make some changes. Um, yeah, I felt really, really stuck. Uh, change for me has always been very difficult. I feel like uh, when a change is coming up, I need to prepare for this change. You know, anything that has to do with my work, with my life, with my children and stuff, I've always felt like, okay, so I'm going to plan it. And it's usually too you know, give it a good time. And by the time that event comes, I'm calm. I'm calm. And because I'm, I'm well prepared for it, you know, I crossed all my T's and dotted all my I's and I'm ready for that change. But when this happened, there was no time to prepare. There was no time to, to, you know, think about it or make sure, you know, that you had enough food, you had this, you, you know, you made all the preparations and, you know, you called everybody you wanted to call and tell them, make sure you got this. And I had no time to prepare. It was just thrown upon me. And, and I just felt this anxiety and this panic and this sickness in my stomach. And 
And I do what I, I, I do best when I'm, I'm stressed and a situation comes up. I take my deep breath and I just, I just sit. And, and I start thinking about things that I need to let go. And things that I need to let go, things of my expectations of, uh, you know, this shouldn't be happening. I shouldn't be going through this. You know, I didn't have time to prepare. I, you know, I just, just let it go and start thinking, okay, what's in front of me and what can I work with? You know, what, what do I have control of and what do I have to, I have no control of that I have to let it go so that I can focus my energy to where, where it needs to go at that moment. And, um, and what, what was more frightening to me was having to do something that I, you know, I'm not comfortable with. And I was teaching online and I was mortified. I says, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. And, um, needless to say, I have a really supportive class that when I was having a challenge, you know, they would contact me and says, Miss all you got to put this down and do this and hit this button and miss all you forgot to hit record and you know and I'm like oh my god they're such a blessing and I just had to let go of that pride of not asking for help yeah because sometimes that's what it is sometimes we don't grow because we don't want to ask for help because we don't want to show a side of us that is lacking and that it's a little bit on the weak side, you know, it's not our strongest point. And sometimes that's where we get stuck with the pride of not saying, I'm not doing okay, or I'm struggling with this. And I just need somebody to bounce some ideas or somebody to guide me through this situation. And I think that's kind of like what I learned so far from this experience is letting go. Mm letting go of whatever it is that is out of my control that I cannot grasp and hold on to because I don't know what to do with the situation and focus and work on the things that are, you know, my strengths and, and try to share what, you know, some of my strengths are with, like, for instance, with my class or, or, you know, with family members to connect more, to talk more, to let them vent, to, for me to listen. And that's what's been helping me get through to let, make me realize I'm not alone in this. This is a difficult situation, but I'm not alone in this. We're all going through this together. And just put whatever it is that your strengths are and put them out there and try to uh, do what I do best. You know, try to help others, you know, just sit there and listen. Mm. Make that phone call. How are you doing? Let them speak. And let them know that we're all going through this together. And sometimes it's all, that's all you can do. So my stuckness came from the fear of change and not being prepared for it. And yeah. this has been a really, really eye opener for me yeah. and made me realize that I'm not as stuck as I thought I was. If yeah. I just kind of learned to let it go. Thank you, Major. So, so to face this is this is good, right? Because when we look at facing assumptions, right? Um, I can or cannot. I should or should not, right? Those are the stuck points, and you know, to to uh, in a way to be okay with facing those assumptions, not arguing with them, but then to bring into well, maybe that may be so or not. I don't know, 
right? Life is asking me right now to, to do this, so I'm going to do this. I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to quantify. I'm just going to do it. Yeah. And, and it brings you right back to how you need to manifest at that time, right now. That's how I need to manifest. And it encourages flow. Thank you. Who's next? Bible, should we give it a chance again? Can you hear me? Yeah, thank you. Okay. Oh, you can. All right. Okay. Um, you know, I want to. I want to pick up on uh, on Gordon's metaphor. You know, of the of the gate and the camel, the packed camel. Um, I thought that was good because. You know, a lot of times I see myself as the merchant, right? You know, planning, creating, loading up the camel, having all these things that I want to do and just creating a structure for myself. Um, and a lot of times I see that structure as separate, right? As separate from me. But in reality, um, you know, and I guess that would be analogous to um, uh, the, uh, the nation flourishes, right? I'm, I'm packing the camel, I have all my goods and services, and I'm bringing them to town. Uh, and then I get to the gate, right? But, you know, the gate is manifested, uh, I'm manifesting the gate. Like the gate's as big as I make the gate, right? So if I see the gate as really, really big, there is no taking the goods and services off the camel. There's just going through the gate. But if I see the gate is very, very small, then I have to take everything off, then I have to put the camel through, then I have to walk all the things through, and then I have to pack the camel again. So, you know, and that's the, um, so, and, and that's the gap, right? The gap is, is what I make of the, uh, of the gate. So, you know, when I think of the nation perishes, right, I think of, um, I think of taking that thing which is separate, that, that notion of unpacking the camel, and there really is no packing the camel or unpacking the camel. There is just going through the gate. Um, so, and that's what I've tried to do with this, um, this whole, um, you know, stay at home thing is, you know, before I saw how much of my life was occupied by doing things. Right. And then when I came home, I realized that I didn't have all those things to do anymore. So what did I do? I created a whole nother list of things to occupy my time. Right. So I think this this con for me is is so much about that. There is no separation between the planning and the doing. It's that the, the planning is there. It's something that we all do. It's what causes the nation to flourish. But. Uh, what causes the nation to perish is when there is no gap between the planning and doing so that there's no separation. So you're just doing the things that, um, you know, are structured. Um, and there is no, I have to do this. I have to do that. I don't have to do this. I don't have to do that. It's just the doing. And in that doing, um, there is no separation. Um, between, um, you know, the, the gate and going through the gate. Mm -hmm. um, 
So, so that's what, that's what this koan really means, really means to me. And one of the most important things that, that it has set up for me, or, or one of the most important things that it has, has taken down for me is that, um, you know, it's good to plan. It's good to set things up, right? But those things that you set up are not different than what you're actually doing. Because it's in the doing that the setting up disappears. And we don't have that gap between how things should be and about how things are. So that, that's what this koan means, means to me. Thank you. Um, and that's what I've tried to do with the time that I have being at home is that um, to create a situation wherein, you know, I do have to set things up. We all do. There are things that we have to do. But, um, you know, I don't run down the stairs anymore to get to the refrigerator because I'm hungry. You know, I take each step as each step. And then I open the refrigerated door to open the refrigerated door. I look inside, you know, so it's a sense of the plan and the action are one. And when you actually do the things that you plan, the plan disappears and it just becomes the doing. If that makes sense. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so the, the realization that the means and the end are non-dual, <clears throat> right? So the means and the end are one. If the means and the end are dual, then we're always running somewhere else. We always want to be somewhere else or someone else. But when the means are seen as the end, as one as the end, then we're not going anywhere ever. We're actually right. not we're doing just, anything ever. Yeah, to use Gordon's metaphor, we're just going through the gate. That's what we're doing. Right, and then the gate, just to, to uh, um, chime in on that, that's the second verse, right? The second uh, poem, it says, since the cottage has been built by assembling brushwood, there's nothing but the field, even without taking the, it to pieces. So there is nothing there, even when the camel is loaded, fully loaded. Right. Right, and so then there's no need to uh, unload anything because the camel, the load and the gate are nothing. Exactly. You know, easier, easier said than, than done, but... That's yes. why it's a practice, it's not saying. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah, that's why it's a practice. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, who's next? We have a little bit more time. Okay. Daikyo, what about you? What's going on? Hello, right. Um, I think, you know, it was, it was very interesting to hear um, conversation today. I think, you know, it was interesting to hear Daibo said it was very good, and uh, chiming on Gordon's. And um, I don't know, I feel like I'm connected with what is being said today. In many ways, I wanted to kind of, uh, you know, just just point out something that is, I think, you know, we already have said, but um, but I feel like it's relevant. It's like every time that we are, um, we feel like this conflict that I mean, we were talking before at the early portions of this mondo um, about 
how we sometimes feel like um, we need to raise some topic. I think El was saying that um, that you need to rent to raise the topic of some conflict that you may have, and then how do you distinguish when that conflict comes? You know, uh, when that sensation comes, and it's interesting because it has to do with that connection with what is what is the intention of that raising the conflict? Is that coming from from a place where you feel that um, that you're entitled to something different, that you have certain reason behind what you're doing, that you have some righteousness about it, or uh, you know, and and it may be so, but it is is that is through the driving force of something, and it's just like okay, you know, why don't we coordinate better so we are can all kind of not stumble upon each other. And that is a very subtle thing sometimes, because sometimes we've been in the place where we've been threaded through, and now we feel like we need to speak up because otherwise we're going to be just giving up too much about something. So how can we raise a topic without feeling like we are um, kind of overstepping that? And, and I think you know, that, is, that is the nuance of this practice. The nuance of the practice has to do with you know, being very much in touch with what are, how, is the how, how the action reflects. You know, going through, Daiwa was talking about, is the action. Yes, but how is the action? Where is that action coming from? Is the action coming from a place of freedom to act? Or is it coming from a place where I feel compelled, I feel righteous about something, or I feel like, you know, this needs to be addressed not because it's a topic that we need to discuss, but it's a topic I write about. Um, and, 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 and it's interesting because I mean, sometimes it's just giving it time will allow the explanation or, or the answer on how to act upon that to, to be through. And I, I totally agree with Daiwa was saying that the action is the whole thing that it is. I mean, uh, you know, the Buddha was saying you know, actions are, you know, the, the ground where it's done. And, uh, and, um, so it's all there is, is the action, but it's the how the action is manifested that is the most relevant thing. So it's how do you connect to the action? How do you allow the action to go through you from a place of freedom to act and not from a place of being compelled by some story that you have in your head to act in any particular way? Um, and and I, I wanted to raise that because, I mean, that is... That is kind of the difficulty of that. I mean, like uh, as I was saying, it's, it's, it's easier said than done. The difficulty is that it's very nuanced, um, and 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 so that's why we each moment we need to actually take a look at. Um, and I think you know all the you know what everybody was saying today was reminding me of, of that when I was hearing it, and uh, and how how it's so subtle and. Uh, how how we need to be attentive at all times because we can lose it in a second. Um, so that's what I wanted to say. That's where the warrior comes in. That's why it's considered the path of a warrior. But it's a different kind of a warrior. It's a warrior that does not wage a war. <clears throat> so what are we fighting? Right? Are we fighting anything? Right? It it's a di- it really is a different kind of a warrior, not what we think a warrior is. There's no enemy. It's a warrior that unites rather than divides. Right? But to face it, to really, to, 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 there is, it is possible to have clarity <clears throat> within obscurity. 
but it's not what we think it is. It does not make the obscurity go away. It does not make anything go away. And that's, that's what's make, what makes it so powerful. It's not about deleting, rejecting, going against anything. It's a totally different experience. Realizing that there's no need to brush off, there's no need to let go, there's no need to delete or rail against anything. It's all okay. Even what I don't like, it's all okay. Even the thoughts that have been floating in my mind for, my mind for years, it's okay, it's fine. As long as I don't create something out of them, of course. That's, that's the, the, in a way, the, the junction point. We always, we find ourselves on this intersection. And where, where do I go? Do I make something out of it or not? How do I feel if I don't? How do I feel if I do? Right? To bring ourselves to that intersection again and again and to realize there is another way to, to be. But free means naked. Free means naked, which means vulnerable. Not willing to be vulnerable is not not willing to experience freedom. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. okay, we have a few more minutes. So, who would like to say the last word? Yes, Erica. I wanted to maybe revisit a little bit of um, what I said earlier and that Gordon also then touched on being stuck and mud and, and uh, while folks were talking, that for some reason, what was coming up for me was this opportunity where because we're more still in certain ways that we're physically, you know, in a uh, less activity. Um, it's been a real opportunity to face a lot of things. Now, I guess maybe I'm also going through the Jukai class, so maybe that's helping as well. But um, a lot of the physical activity slowing down has allowed me to really uh, dig a bit deeper and look at certain things. And, and the idea of mud has come up in that it's like, you know, instead of rejecting it and saying, ew, icky, and doing things to kind of clean it off all the time, um, instead to take, those, take that mud and put your hands into it and just let it run through your hands, you know, and just observe, and it's just there, you know, and just uh, just watching it and looking at it and observing it, and then it's, um, just becomes something to learn from rather than something to avoid or to clean up. Right. So to, to uh, stay away from the assumption that it's wrong <clears throat> or bad or it shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a challenge, obviously, because it doesn't feel this way, because who wants mud? <clears throat> right. Thank you. Okay, so I wanted to uh, seal that with a few words from Huineng. He described the lifeblood of Zen in the following words. In our teaching, no thought is the principle, no form is the foundation, and no abode is the basis. 
No thought is the principle, no form is the foundation, and no abode is the basis. Put that in your pipe and smoke it for a while. See what happens. Thank you all. I look forward to seeing you again individually and together. Thank you.